welcome to Define the Relationship podcast, a podcast where we explore the relationship we have with the Bible and ourselves. I'm one of your hosts, Darlene Enstick. And I'm the other host, Ted Enstick. And as you can tell from our names, we belong together. I just defined the relationship. Okay, welcome to podcast number 26. This is the Define the Relationship podcast. Good to be back with you. Mm-hmm. We are in the week after Easter. And today we're going to talk about are you saved? Are you saved, Darlene? Betcha. <laughs> you hesitated. <laughs> no, I didn't. I said you betcha. <laughs> So we're on, we're on a path of reconstruction, um, deconstructing, reconstructing our our faith experience, and um, we want to get into salvation today. And uh, I don't know if any of you out there have had that experience of being asked if you are saved or not, and uh, maybe you had some awkward moments with that. Um, well, I so- actually asked that in like on Sunday morning, and I was surprised how few people actually raise their hands. Yeah, do you think that was the, actually the case or that was just uh, people were reticent to raise their hands? It's only the second time we've been back in in-person worship in a long time. That... Yeah, yeah, maybe. But... Yeah. Sorry. Do you have... You said that you've had that experience. What... Um, you want to say more about that experience? I think I've had more of the experience of somebody asking me if somebody else is saved. Hmm. Yeah. So what do you think they're going? It's a pretty bold question for somebody to ask you directly to your face. Yeah. I think I've had that question asked to me more, at least in this community, um, when, um, a certain group of people were going around door to door asking that question. Yes. So that's, that's the only context that I've had it asked directly to me. But I think, um, whether or not you've had the question asked directly to you, it is still, um, it's still a question that I think ruminates in the, in the, in the way salvation is spoken about and how one defines what that means to experience salvation or to be, you know, people use different language about, about that. Are you a believer? Hmm. Right, yeah. That, that a believer um, insinuates that you have been saved. Mm-hmm. So, so we're do you talking th- about being born again, or like, yeah, I'm just yeah. thinking about different ways yeah. that that we kind of talk about. Yeah. About so, that. Um, kind of what you're gonna gonna get us thinking a little bit about some some ways that we might want to. Th- I mean, I guess we're going to spend some time a little bit deconstructing some ways of understanding salvation and then reconstructing a, a path forward. Um, it, I mean, this conversation about are you saved, are you a believer, these kinds of questions, um, they kind of represent a way of thinking about faith that has salvation as kind of a central, a central component of faith, the, the idea that you know, we just experienced, um, we celebrated resurrection and, uh, the, the cross of Good Friday this past week. And, um, 
for many understandings of our Christian faith, I mean, it's centered around those, uh, those events of Holy Week, especially the crucifixion and the resurrection, and um, kind of our ascent, our our willingness to kind of go along with believing that that actually happened and that something happened on the cross that actually saves us. That's a pretty central part of a lot of our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, so what are we, what are we needing to deconstruct? It seems like it's kind of a core tenant of our faith that, that uh, Jesus saves us. Mm-hmm. I think Maybe the simplest way to to say that uh, to answer a very complex question is to to deconstruct the the narrowness of that picture. Hmm. So, so I think um, the ways in which people kind of cringe at at a vision of salvation that seems to be very elitist, very narrow, um, like there is a secret code and it's the simple prayer, it's the simple four spiritual laws, it's the looking at it the same way and having a very um, outlined set of ascents to uh, ways of looking at things. And and so I think that's what we've been de- deconstructing it, it as a ticket, as a narrow kind of like, did you got the right things checked off in order to get to the right place? Hmm. And um, so that's, I think, what we've been deconstructing and reimagining something that is more expansive. So so picking up on what you just said, so... Um, Am I hearing you correctly that you're saying that the big deconstructing move in salvation is not that it isn't true that Jesus saves us and that there's a component of we're being saved from something for something, like, uh, you know, to put it in, in classic language, you know, we're being saved from hell so that we can experience heaven. You know, if you see that as a metaphor or as real places, that's sort of like kind of undergirding that, 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 that idea. But you're saying it's not that those things aren't necessarily true or important, that they need to be kind of put aside, but that salvation is actually something far broader and bigger and maybe more important to even our everyday life right now. Oh, yeah. I think um, salvation is... Um is critical it, it it is the central the saving the rescue the the regeneration um of god the 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 bringing together and and rising it is evidenced everywhere around us and it is the earth shows us the the nature of of resurrection and how it saves uh you know something that looks dead that suddenly begins to spring from the ground this is the, we we see it around us and it is evidenced in the eternal nature of god and so i think it's it is it is absolutely um 
central to to what is happening, what is um, at play um, in the nature of God and in the, and in in hu- humanity's invitation to be part of um, to be part of what God is doing, what God is revealing in the earth, what God has implanted in in the hearts and in the souls of human beings throughout history, you know, it's, it's everywhere. So resurrection rising and how that saves, um, and, and re gives rebirth is, is, I think it is, it's real. So, so how does Jesus fit into that? Like it, if, if some of this is kind of embedded in the way our, our universe has been constructed by God, that we see the cycle of death and rebirth that happens in, you know, just in the seasons. And I mean, we live in a part of the world where that's a bit starker for us because we have four definite seasons and we're coming out of the winter season. And, and, uh, you know, although it's because it's so dry, we're not seeing growth as quickly maybe as we would normally see, but it's, we're starting to see, um, aspects of that animals coming out and you know budding happening and stuff like that so but what like how does the jesus story fit into it i mean you you shared um your thoughts this past sunday on easter sunday around um are you saved and what does salvation look like in the context of the story of jesus death and resurrection and um we might even want to think about the life of jesus that came before that and the birth how does that all fit into what salvation is 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 salvation primarily about the event of Easter and what happened there? And before that, we didn't have salvation, and, and now we do after that? Or is there something more going on there? Yeah, good question. Um, well, I, in my understanding, Jesus um, is... Jesus is fits into it in that Jesus is showing us what God is like all it, it, everywhere in Jesus's life, in the way that Jesus interacts with people, in the way that Jesus engages suffering, in the way that Jesus dies, in the way that Jesus rises. You know, it's, again, Jesus kind of showing us exactly who God is and how that is a pathway for um, how that is a pathway to to save us, I guess, and um, and that is. I mean, I don't want to make it sound too simple. Oh yeah, well, it's just you know, it's just simple. It's a it's mysterious, but there's also a real sense of. Um, of the way in which God works that, that has the opportunity to, um, to save us. And I, uh, I don't know. I don't like in a way, <laughs> I'm just like, going to pause better, for a second. Is there a, maybe a better way of talking about it rather I than like we, you save a lot. I know. I don't like the, see, I, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of forced to use the word saving because we're talking about salvation, but I feel uncomfortable with even using that language because I, 
I know that for some people, just even hearing that, hearing that word and hearing it talked about in that way is like, oh, it's, it, it's triggering. It's like, it makes people cringe. Yeah. Because it's been so, um, you know, the word has been kind of a placeholder for so many other things. Like, like when you said, oh, I've had conversations with people and they've, use this sentence, oh, is that person saved? Um, what they're really saying by that, right, is they're asking a question. Are they in uh-huh. or are they out? Like, um, uh-huh. are they on the boat? Are they on the ark? Or are they in the waters and the, you know, the flood is is uh, engulfing them, you know? So like, that's kind of an image of, of, of salvation that we have. Like, are you on the ark or are you, are you uh, in the flood? Um, is... Is this maybe, like, let me test this with you. I, I'm just thinking about, like, why is this such a, a difficult sort of thing for us to kind of talk about? Is that because the salvation language has been used in ways to keep people out and protect those that are in? Um, oh, man, I'm losing my train of thought here a bit. But is, is that basically... Um, making it hard for us to to speak about how God is on, in a process of healing us and bringing us to wholeness as human beings and as a planet. And, and more than that, that, um, boy, I keep losing this train. I have it there and then it keeps kind of floating away. Um, the idea that because people have read been hurt or rejected this way of talking about salvation, there's a bit of a a tendency to go to, well, you know, I don't really need to be saved. Like, um, that's not even important. You know, like, um, this is one of the things I liked about your, about your talk on Sunday morning is you, you gave a, a bunch of personal examples of where you experienced or you saw people experiencing being saved. Um, you know, kind of like a lifeguard saving somebody who's drowning and, uh, you know, or um, a way of thinking about things in a different way that saved you from your own concept of yourself. You you gave an example of how Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection, was like a saving, a saving act in your life because it made you rethink about yourself and your perfectionist tendencies like these. Um, so... Is that is that kind of why we get a bit stuck? Because we 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 reject the let's call it the fundamentalist evangelical sort of approach to salvation, which is very much about being in or out and having a ticket to heaven. Kind of simplistic, but not by much, um, I don't think. And uh, and then we start thinking like, well, you know. Um, I don't even know how to answer that question when somebody asks me if I'm saved because it's sort of like I don't want to answer it based on the way you're asking the question. There's a bit of roundabout there, um, but sort of like it feels like uh, this is one of those places where our deconstructing maybe puts us in a place where we're not quite sure what to do now. Where do we, where do we go with this? Like, yeah. are, are we in need of salvation or not? Right. And that's why I, when I was thinking through... Um, Sundays when I was prepping for that, I was trying to think about like, 
how ridiculous <laughs> would it be in these some of these examples that I gave to like stop and think, well, I don't, I don't really, do I really need to be saved? Like when I'm unconscious at the wheel on highway 75, you know, of course I'm in trouble. And maybe you want to tell oh, that story in a bit more detail because some listeners might not know that story. Um, yeah. although it feels like we tell it a lot, but, uh, well, say, just, say a bit more about that story. That's a, it's a good one. Yeah, just in short, um, I was driving on the highway heading into Winnipeg and you and our two kids were little in the back and everybody was sleeping except for me (laughs) driving (laughs) and uh, I have sensitivities to wheat and it was harvest season and our air conditioning wasn't working and so I was just blowing like air in from the outside air (laughs) and I started basically mainlining wheat dust into your system. (laughs) Right. And I, and I wasn't feeling well. And so, you know, I woke you up and basically said, I'm not feeling well. And within less than a minute, I was unconscious at the wheel. Yeah. One of the interesting things about that story, um, was that your initial response to when you said, I'm not feeling very well. And I said, well, do you want to pull over so I can drive? And you said, no, no, I'm okay. Right. Cause I still, <laughs> I still think I'm good. I'm, I, I can do this on my own. I'm okay. And I then... can get to the, to where I need to go, even though I'm not feeling well. And then literally your, I... your head hit the steering wheel and you were out. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So in that, and then I saved the day, right? Uh... Yeah, you did. You grabbed the wheel and <laughs> turned the cruise off. And, um, that's a really stark example um, and where I didn't even have any, any choice in the matter. I was unconscious. It wasn't like I even asked for, for help. I couldn't even ask for help. You just had to, you, you literally saved the, the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they saved the life too. <laughs> <laughs> saved the life. Yeah, the day wasn't saved. But, uh... um, but in other examples that I gave, you know, there is... It's it's ridiculous when you're when you know you're in trouble. If you're standing at the let's say at the side of the road and your car has broken down and you're in the middle of nowhere, and if somebody would come by and ask you if you needed help, you know, do you wanna do you wanna rescue? Do you need some somebody to help save you from this situation? And and you would just like welcome it mm-hmm. with like especially if it's like a good person. You know? Yeah. Uh, So I was trying to think about it in a way that wouldn't be so repulsive. Right. Would be actual real relief. Mm -hmm. And that is the biggest reimagination is that, that God, like what if God actually wants to give real relief? And, um... Okay, so just think about that for a minute. Mm -hmm. Now put that alongside what I think has often been a question that's been posed to us, and that is, isn't it, can't you just be a good person? Hmm. And the last time that I was asked that, which was not that long ago, is it, you know, what if it, isn't it good enough to be a good person? 
And my, my reflexive answer at that time was good enough for what? <laughs> good question. Did, did you get any answers to that question or did it end up being rhetorical? I don't, I, it was rhetorical. I don't think it was, I mean, it surprised me to even mm-hmm. hear myself say it in a way. I was like, good enough for what? Good enough to get into heaven? Yeah, sure. Like, fine. <laughs> is that, like, is that it? Is that all you need? Like, yeah. And that's where I think the, um, the illusion, delusions, illusion? Mm-hmm. Maybe both. It's the right word, delusion or illusion. Anyway, the the sense that like we're oh, there's a little bunny outside our window. Speaking of life, um, <laughs> the illusion that you know there that we're just trying to be enough, good enough, mm-hmm. and we can somehow do that on our own. Mm-hmm is such a sad... It's becoming more and more of a sad statement to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm still... I, I, I find that I, ha- I don't have very <laughs> very good words for what's going on inside me. Um, maybe you can help me unpack. Yeah. What is so sad about, about that? Because I think... Um, for me, there's a deep understanding that that the relief, the connection, the union with God, and my desire for that is so. Um, why would you? Why would I just want to be a good person? Like that's just it. It, it makes less and less sense to me. Hmm. How can I? Uh, my ability to be compassionate to another is is really only if I allow God's compassion to be united inside of me and flow through me, and and do something in you, and do something in me. And so it's like my connection to that. It's, it's not about being a good person. I'm not trying to be a good person. I, I, if I put myself outside of that scenario and say, well, I, I don't really want to have anything to do with God, but I think still really want to be a good, compassionate person. Okay. Um, it's becoming more and more of a reality for me that I can only live and love and see and feel and hear in the context of creation and the salvation of creation, the re- the rebirth of creation, the creator, the spirit, all how all of that is so embodied in, in the biggest things and the smallest things and my ability to, 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 be saved from myself and my ability to be saved from trying to do it myself is, is the only thing that, you know, helps me be connected to, I, I, yeah. So I don't don't know. know. Let me, let me test a, let me test a theory. I got, I mean, I got 
so many things flown in my head around like around this conversation. I think this is such a central conversation. So here, maybe this is one of the things, one way we can think about it, because we've been using deconstruction and reconstructing language so much. Maybe part of the problem with uh, deconstructing how we understand salvation is we haven't deconstructed enough mm. salvation. And the big thing you mean, I want... You mean enough, the word enough? No, no, I mean we haven't done... Oh, we, ha- oh, oh. we haven't, we aren't finished the deconstructing pro- project or we haven't... Um, so let me put it this way. We seem to be very... Um, let's put it, we need to deconstruct the question about are you saved or not? And even asking that question. Because um, when a person says, well, isn't it good enough to be just a good person? They're sort of buying into the question that there is a certain threshold that we need to get past to find eternal life. Or, you know, like, I don't, I don't know, but there seems to be an assumption that, well, um, you know, I'm not going to end up in a bad place if, right. I, if I'm a good person, right? Isn't that kind of what's behind that? Yeah, because and, I think, I, I just want to just do a quick, yeah, go I ahead. want to take you from your train of thought. No, it's though. okay. I'm, I'm, I'll get it. I'll, I'll stick with it. I want to say yes to that person and no. Right. Like, I want to say yes. It, it's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And so, to quote uh, one of my, theo- my early theology professors, Harry Hubner, and uh, I don't know if he was kind of borrowing this from somebody else, but he'd often say, wrong question. Yeah. Well, what do you mean, wrong question? It's my question. Yeah, it's a bad question. <laughs> and so... When we ask the question in this way, are you saved or not, then we, we try to reconstruct our faith in a way that sort of answers that question. But maybe, maybe the question is, is not that question. Maybe the question is, what does it mean? Um, like, I, 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 really like, I really like kind of taking words and getting to the heart of the meaning of them. And like salvation comes from from the word salvus, Mm -hmm. which is salve, healing. Mm -hmm. And so salvation is, yeah, it's a process of experiencing healing. We might think it's a restoration experience where we take something that needs to be restored and it gets brought back to what it's meant to be. Very much deconstructing, reconstructing sort of process. And so if we ask the question like, um, can I find healing without being a Christian, right? Like, that's a different question. Mm -hmm. And it's not a question of, well, do I meet some... We're, like, we really get... We get in our... Maybe it's just a human nature. We get very fixated on how do we meet some expectation. Like, what's the good enough expectation so that we can pass, pass, fail mark, you know? Yeah, where's the bar? Where's the bar? And we don't ask questions like, well, how do I find healing personally? How do I find healing as communities? Like we, um, or how, and now we're thinking so much about how do we help the earth heal mm-hmm. from, you know, the way we've we've done damage to the world, and um, you know, it's pretty much a consensus that the way we live our lives as humanity has had a has had a detrimental impact on our on our our world. So those are bigger questions, and um. We don't have to think so much about, well, am I, am I in or out? But we might ask, like, well, how do we find healing? Mm-hmm. You know, and for some of us, the, 
it's an important conversation because where we need healing is around our spirituality, where, around our faith, because we were hurt, damaged, abused, oppressed by, by the people that were leading us in our spiritual lives. And uh, we need to find some healing from that. And part of, I think, the healing is to ask questions that are about life, how we give life back and how we receive life in our lives. And I think Easter and the salvation story of Jesus and the salvation story of God that we find in the Bible, um, there's clues there to how we can how we can find that. So I don't know, does that does that make some sense that we we are kind of we're going down some rabbit holes because we are asking the wrong question and we reject the fundamentalist evangelical approach to salvation, but we haven't rejected the question that they're asking and trying to answer with it. And I think, so maybe we need to, you know, get down more to the foundations. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really like that. So, so what then? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, what, what's kind of next for us then if we think we need to rethink that? What are some of the ways that we need to move forward on that? Well, one way is to begin to um, paint new pictures, maybe, of salvation and what that is. And I think the scripture that I shared on Sunday from Isaiah 25 is, um, is one way to, to paint a new picture. And maybe I'll read part of that as well. Um, this is part of the lectionary text for for Easter Sunday and maybe is not something that many people have grown up hearing. So it's Isaiah 25, verses 6 to 9. And it goes like this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is spread, that is cast, sorry, over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, lo, this is our God. We've waited for him so that we might, so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And so first there's this vision of, you know, a feast, an extravagant feast, and it's not a feast for a few. Mm-hmm. It's a feast for all. Yeah, the word all comes in there a lot of times. So many times. <laughs> and I believe if you look in the dictionary definition of what all means, it means everything. <laughs> yeah. All the earth all the nations, all the people, death will be wiped 
out forever. There's an all-encompassing vision. And so can we begin to rebuild our picture of salvation? Yeah, it's power. That's a, I, I admit that I don't believe I was familiar with that Isaiah chapter and that vision. Like um, we tend to around Christmas and around Easter, the Isaiah passages we get to are much further on, like forties, forties mm-hmm. to the sixties, and there's some beautiful stuff there too. But this one is so. Um, I found it just so clear mm-hmm. and concise and also a beautiful picture like you say the feasting the feasting language is just such rich imagery and if if this is true for us as people that we can experience this that god is doing this i mean it really has some impact on the type of people that we are because if we're being called to a feast for all peoples then we need to ask well is is everybody getting a chance to feast right now like right. does everybody have enough does and, everybody have good stuff and good things in their lives or is there some work that needs to be done there's some injustice that needs to be kind of attended to that would mean that god would save us right and that's looking outward and there's also the if you if you read this text and then you ask well what if i don't want to be a part of that like what if i just want to be a good person <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> It's like, okay, good, but uh, fine, but why? Why? Like, that that's just seems like who would, you? nobody would ask that. It's kind of like, it's kind of like my examples on Sunday. It's like, who would ask if I have to be a part of that? Right. When you're... You know, when I'm living my like dogged life, kind of, it gets pretty good. I have a pretty good life, but like I struggle internally. I, I cry. I see injustice. I, I feel the racial tensions in, you know, I, there's so much stuff I experience. And then this vision of like, okay, but this is what God is doing. And then I'd say, yeah, well, but I don't want, like, what if, I don't really want it. I'll just keep struggling over here. <laughs> no, the marrow, the nice wine. No, no, thank you. <laughs> it just becomes, it starts to feel ridiculous that you would ask if it'd be good enough if you didn't take it. <clears throat> and, and the answer is still, you don't have to. There's no forcing. That's not the way that God works. There's no forcing. Yeah. This is invitational. But yeah. like those who have who need refuge, there is refuge for them. Yeah. Those who need food, there is food for them. Yeah. And not just crumbs. There's like marrow. Like marrow is a like marrow is That's expensive stuff yeah. these days at least. Yeah, it's um like you, like you, where we started, you know, like the difference between a narrow and an all-encompassing vision of salvation. Like this is, this is a beautiful picture. I mean, somebody could paint a beautiful picture about this kind of reality, and uh, it just really puts into perspective 
like you said, what does that mean? Am I, can, can I just be a good enough person? Just seems like um, an absurd question in the context of this vision. Right. Right. It's a real question in in a very narrow vision. Yeah. And I completely understand it. But in the context of this vision, it just... It's like, whoa. Yeah. Just this, uh, when you started getting into this Isaiah piece around um, this vision, it, it just reminded me, it was like a few weeks ago, the lectionary um, in Lent had the story of Zacchaeus. Or at least we share that in um, in our uh, video prompts with the children. And the story of Zacchaeus is a short little tax-collecting man who uh, wants to see Jesus and... He's too small, so he climbs up in a tree, and then Jesus calls him down and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And um, ah, it sounds like a kind of a, a normal thing that would happen to say, I'm going to come to your house. But of course, the backstory on that is that Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, he would be one of the most hated people in his community. He was a person, uh, he was an Israelite, but he was collecting taxes, and we understand that the Roman taxation system was like maybe like 95% of your income was being taxed by the Romans going to the empire. So, um, and often the tax collectors would pay themselves by skimming off the top of that and taking even more for themselves. So this is a very hated person in that community, and Jesus says, I want to come to your house. And in the presence of Jesus, Jesus does not ask, does not ask Zacchaeus if he's saved, if he believes in Jesus, if he understands that Jesus is there to save him. He doesn't have any of that conversation. But Zacchaeus, on his own accord, says, um, if I have defrauded anyone, if I have been unjust, I will pay it back fourfold. Mm-hmm. And um, I will make it right, and I'll do more than make it right. Mm-hmm. And Jesus' response is very telling. He says, Today, salvation has come to this house. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, is that salvation? Salvation is fairness, um, making sure you're not taking advantage of people. Wow. It's almost like Jesus is saying, oh, you're doing a really good thing, Zacchaeus. I think it's good enough that we could call it salvation. <laughs> Isn't that kind of what's happening there? Yeah. So in a way, just uh, you know, to flip back, like that's kind of a question that doesn't make any sense. And yet, here's a story where Jesus is saying that, yeah, treating people well, dealing with injustice, is actually living out salvation. Yeah, and we don't, I mean, we don't know all the details of what happened in that house, but... F- from the way the story is told and the way it's recorded, it is it is not told in such a way where Zacchaeus is chided for his life. It's there's something about the presence of Jesus that um, that evokes this um in Zacchaeus. So mm-hmm. He's experiencing something. He's in, he's encountered something by being connected to Jesus. And, and he wants to move from that place. 
You know, he wants to be a part of it. He wants to do these things. So it's just a very, yeah, it's a, again, it's, it's, a, it's interesting how we take these stories and, and we can, they can have, they can be interpreted in different ways for sure. Right. Um, but if we begin to reimagine salvation in, in these new ways, then it, uh, it's more compelling. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's more beautiful. Yeah. It seems like it's, it's, um, it's about an invitational life that when we look at Jesus and we, and we recognize that this is the, the most visible picture of who God is. And if we are seeing this accurately and sort of in its full way, it becomes compelling. It, like we become a bit like Zacchaeus. I mean, this interesting thing about the story is he was motivated to see Jesus. Like he was so motivated that he climbed up in a, to a tree to yeah. see Jesus. He didn't let any of the obstacles that were in his way and being vertically challenged was one of his obstacles apparently. And, um, so he was he was seeking something, and then when he found it, he responded. That was an act of faith that he he did and said what he did, and um, you know it's it's a it's a beautiful story of healing and salvation because there's there's no whiff of well you need to believe this or else. There's no punishment assumed there or anything. And it's so um, why can't we approach a life of salvation in a way that invites people to a fuller experience of healing or restoration or whatever, whatever thing you're, I mean, I think whole feeling whole is a big thing for our, our society. Now we want to feel like we are all together in a good way. And, um, that sounds like salvation. That sounds like something that everybody is looking for. You know, I, very few people would say, yeah, I'm not really interested in being healthier in that way. I feel whole enough. <laughs> <laughs> and that timing, you can't, this is why I think, it's one of our greatest delusions is that we can do it on our own. We think we're kind of doing it okay. And I, you know, fall into that at times too. Um, Oh, I mean, I think I live there, (laughs) but then there's like, there's also this, this deep part of like, wow, I, there's this deep kind of maybe drive to, climb a tree and see if I can get a glimpse of something that can help. Right. And kind of, um, channeling some of those experiences too in our life where it's like, wow, I need somebody to help me right now. You know, I'm under a time crunch help or (laughs) there's so many things in, you know, small and large that this is, I can't do this on my own. Yeah, and isn't part of the part of what we've set up when you think about like we last time we were together we talked about reconstructing our understanding of church is one of the ways that we had thought about church and it's hard not to fall into this is sort of a way of like people need the church. 
Mm. You know, like you need, you need to have faith in Jesus because if you don't, then you're not going to experience salvation. It's a very, um, well, it's a very paternalistic kind of approach to people. Like we know what you need. And if you don't choose it, well, then it's going to be go badly for you. And um, that's not really a great way to be church if this is the vision that we're being invited to. We want to be invitational and we want to give people space to either connect or not connect as need be. Mm-hmm. But we want to invite people to this feast. Yeah. And we want to create environments where it's experienced as a feast for people. It's not experienced as, well, oh, this is a place where, um, you know. You get shamed to the point yeah, of Yeah, like it's kind of surrender. like the church is a big x-ray and it's going to see inside you and it's going to know exactly what is needs healing and salvation in you and uh, we're going to we're going to shame you or guilt you into some kind of place. And so um, I think this conversation sort of like links back quite well, you know? Yeah. Sounds like maybe a good place to, we can move on from this place mm-hmm. to the next, to the next topic. Thanks for joining us. This was, uh, it would be nice if we could have a few of you uh, listeners actually in our midst and we could have uh, a free-flowing conversation about these things and your questions and stuff could happen. But this is what we have, and um, it was good to be with you. Thanks, Darlene. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Have a good day. Bye.